Thank you for tuning in to today's audio message. Here at Temple Baptist Church, we are a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> it's good to see you. It really is. Thank you for coming. And especially if you were here last week, thank you for coming back. And um, for all those who are here for the first time or the first time in a long time, uh, as Pastor Glenn said, we're, we're thrilled to have you with us here this morning. I actually have some guests myself, some family visiting, my aunt and uncle from Calgary, first time to Temple Baptist Church, first time in Sarnia. Can you believe it? I always say Sarnia is Canada's best kept secret. And um, by the way, if you are here for the first time, or like I said, first time in a long time, I'd love to be able to connect with you. And uh, maybe you're just here passing through because you're on business or visiting some family and friends, or maybe you're from the community and you're looking for a place to connect with, a, a place to call home. Uh, in the pew right in front of you, there's actually a welcome card. And uh, if you're comfortable enough, uh, you can take that card back to our foyer where we have the, our connection center. People would love to chat with you and connect with you. And actually, we actually have a, a gift that we'd like to give to you that you can use today uh, when you leave here this morning. So uh, welcome to everyone. Also, let me give a shout out to those who are joining us online this morning from wherever you may be watching. Maybe it's at your workplace, uh, at home, at the campsite, wherever. Thank you for joining us and tuning in this morning. Well, last week we began a brand new series called Every Day. And uh, we're going to continue the journey this morning. We are studying a book of the Bible that most people will say, this book is extreme. Uh, in fact, you may find yourself as we go through this series shouting out, that's ridiculous, Donald. That's radical. That's too extreme what you're talking about this morning. It's unrealistic. It's not normal. People don't act that way. The book that we're going to be studying together has 108 verses, five little chapters, and man, it packs a punch when you read through it. It has a, it's a powerful little book. It's a practical book. It's uh, easy to understand. It, it's not heavy with theology. In fact, every single person here this morning will, will understand every single verse that we talk about. In fact, when we get to week three or four, you'll wish that it wasn't so clear what James is talking about. So we're walking through the book of James, a small little book at the end of your Bible, a book that has a tendency to sting uh, when you read it. A book that was written by the half-brother of Jesus. We talked about that last week. And, and James was a doubter for most of his life. He did not believe Jesus. In fact, his entire life while Jesus was on earth, he didn't believe a word that his half-brother was saying. He thought he was crazy. In fact, we looked at it last week, Matthew chapter 13, verse 55. Remember, his family actually thought he was crazy. It says in that verse, they came to take charge of him because they thought he had lost his mind. That's the family, Jesus' family. And so he was a doubter, and somewhere along the line, he transitioned from being a doubter to a believer, and it's, it's unbelievable that, that a doubter is now writing a book about faith. So what changed? What caused James to go from wanting to put his brother in an institution to actually now believing? Well, he had an encounter. He had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. As he, James had seen his brother um, whipped and beaten. He had witnessed that, you know, he was up on the cross, nailed to the cross. 
He was very well aware that they buried his brother in, in the grave. And I'm sure he probably thought, what a sad way to end a life. But three days later, Jesus came back from the dead, and he met up with James, and everything changed. And everything always changes when you have an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. In fact, it was so drastic, it was obvious to everyone that he came in contact that it was no longer about himself. People really began to see the difference. In fact, we, we know there was such a radical change because when someone gives their life, you know they believe what they're saying. A mob of religious rulers had grabbed hold of James and they, they said, you must recant that, that Jesus is the Son of God. Religious rulers. And he wouldn't. How could he? He was an eyewitness of, the, of Jesus coming back from the dead. And because he wouldn't recant of his faith, history tells us they beat, really, his brains out. They just beat him until he was dead. That's James that wrote the book. Now, the book of James is, is not a book about perfection. It is a book about progress. It is a book about uh, development. It's all about God taking us to, to the next level, to a higher uh, place. It's, it's hard-hitting, and at times it will feel like it's right in your face. But it's not complicated at all. It will be very easy to understand. And one of the things that James is going to show us is that there is actually a very big difference between being a Christian and an authentic Christian. The difference between being a fan of Jesus but being a follower of Jesus. Ever met a Christian who says they're a Christian and then you, you sit back and you go, huh, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have marked you as a Christian. Maybe because how they, they act or, or how they talk. Ever met a mechanic that way? You know, you, you go get your car fixed and you're listening to them and you think, I, I think he might have watched a YouTube video, but I don't know anything beyond that. You know, I have a picture of myself in a military uniform. I was in a drama a few years ago. I'm, and when people see that picture, they think, oh, were you in the military? No, it was just all the outward appearance looked like I was in the military, but I actually had no idea what I was doing. Right? And that's what James is trying to distinguish between an, a, a Christian and authentic Christian. See, it doesn't take very long to really see who just talk it, but don't walk it. Time will tell who actually just lip it, but don't actually live it. Now, I want to warn you, okay? This will not be easy to swallow, this verse. Here's the part of the development that we wish God had a different way of maturing us, of developing us, of doing things. So this is actually a warning. We are about to read the first process that James is going to be talking about when it comes to spiritual maturity. And James is going to say something that really, when you first read it, 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 it sounds weird. Okay? Let's just be honest. It, it's a little strange. It's not how you and I would think. And in fact, it seems a little radical. And verse 2, it says, Consider it pure Joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What is that all about? 
Consider it joy. It sounds a little radical. You, uh, you might be ready to just write James off. Like you think, how, how does anybody give this man any credibility writing those kind of statements? I mean, it's, it's nonsense. You're saying to me that I'm supposed to have this response, oh, praise the Lord, my puppy got run over by a bus today. Or, oh, life is so good, I just got fired from my dream job. Is that what you're trying to say, James? No, I don't believe that's at all what James is trying to say. I think what James is trying to say, we shouldn't look at trials in my life as intruders messing up my comfortable lifestyle. We, we, we shouldn't be looking at trials as God's way of messing up my comfortable lifestyle. Now, now remember the people, we talked about this last, but remember the people that James is writing to. They are Christians who are on the run. Uh, they're spread all over the different nations. They are, they're fleeing for their lives. These are desperate times for believers and Jesus. In fact, persecution is at an all-time high. You look at Acts chapter 8, you can read the persecution of the church. Saul is raining havoc on the church. We study history in World War II, and we, we, we study about the Holocaust, and you know how Hitler really wanted to wipe out all Jews. Well, that's exactly what Saul wanted to do. He wanted to wipe out the church from ever being found again. And he was determined to do it. As I said, persecution is at an all-time high. And so James knows exactly what needs to be written in this letter to the scattered Christians. He is not going to waste one word because no doubt people are questioning, God, where are you? I'm running for my life. I, I, I thought you said you loved me. I, I thought you had a plan for me. And so you know these questions are filling the minds of some of these Christians who are running for their lives. You know, I'm sure some people were saying, I, I want to be a fully devoted follower of you, Jesus, but, but what is happening, it seems like my life is actually harder now than when I wasn't following you. So Lord, what is up with that? And James is aware that those are the kind of questions that are being asked. Now, now, just for a moment, just for a moment, I want you to think of events in your life, circumstances, moments from your past that really defined who you are today. I mean, moments that have really impacted your life. Look back at those events, those circumstances that have made you the man or the woman that you are today. When I take inventory of my life, I, I, have be, I have become the man I am today, not because of good times. It's been because of the challenging times. Uh, those events that, that really began very difficult, things that I would never, ever have chosen to go through. Honestly, I would have tried to have avoided them if I could have things that nobody wants to go through. And yet, honestly, that's what's made me the man I am today. And if you were to take a few minutes and just begin to think of events and circumstances and moments in your life, I would say you probably would say the same thing. It's those tough moments 
that have made me who you are today. So James right here, um, he gets right to the point. I love this. He, he opening verse, I'm James, I'm a servant of God, I'm writing to scatter Christians, let's get down to business. And he said, consider it joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. See, it doesn't matter if you're rich, it doesn't matter if you're famous, it doesn't matter if you're talented, it doesn't matter if you're super smart, everybody is going to go through trials. Trials will come. That's the reality. Not trials may come. Trials will come. You cannot avoid them. You cannot get around them. They are inevitable. That's what I love about the Bible. It's just honest. Trials are going to come. It's not like, oh, there'll be a small minority. Maybe if some of you may face a difficult time. No, no, no. That is not the reality in which we live in. Not if trials will come, but trials, but when trials will come. And James says there are many, many different types of trials. Some will seem almost insignificant, and others will be very significant. Some will seem trivial, and others will really change the course or alter the course of your life. You know, for some of you, maybe a trial is your baby is crying night after night after night. And you're like, whew, that's a trial. Whew, lack of sleep, sleep deprivation. You know, maybe, you're, maybe a trial will cost you money. I, you know, I bought a 40-year-old house when I moved here, and I, and I happened to have a pool, which was very nice. But, you know, last year, I remember I, there was a couple thousand dollars I had to spend on that. I was like, oh, well, at least that's over. And then guess what happened this year? The pump goes. The filter goes, 500, 500, it's just like, you think I was made of money. Whew, the trial, whew, money, right? <laughs> but trials come in different shapes and sizes. Some comes as a flu, others will come as a disease. A trial, a trial can be a marriage that is struggling to stay alive. It can be a dream that you had that's been shattered. A trial can be singleness. It can be the death, death of a child. See, trials come in different sizes and different shapes, and some will really feel inconsequential, while others will change the course of your life. They are different for different people at different seasons of your life. And my, what might seem insignificant to you may be overwhelming to me. You know, we're, we're all on this journey, aren't we? And, and some of us are at, you know, at different mile markers, and, and some of you guys are so far ahead of me. Wow. And then, and then others are, you're right at the same mile marker that I am. And then, you know, there's probably a few that maybe are just a little bit behind. And, and, I, and I, I hope and I pray that when I, at mile marker 10, I'm, I'm interacting with trials very differently than at mile marker 4. I, I trust I'm growing along the journey that I, I, that I don't react the same way I did 10 years ago. I, I trust, I've grown in the trials that uh, come my way, my way. I feel like in many ways my life has been uh, a dream, but I would be very dishonest to say that, you know, following Jesus is always a bed of roses. Now, that's, that's not at all how the Bible
It just seems like it's our but I naturally lean to. I lean towards my own understanding, even though I know, I know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I've memorized it. Many of you have, right? Trust in the Lord with your whole heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. I know that verse. I've memorized that. And yet, I have this tendency to lean on my own understanding. I have a gravitational pull towards that. Sometimes we just lean away. It doesn't seem like a major move. It's just a slight move. I don't know why God allows... I don't know all the reason that God allows trials into our life. But I do sometimes think it's to remind us of our own humanity. To remind us that we are in need of God and His grace every day of our life. Because we were not created to be independent people. We actually were created to be completely dependent upon Him. I also think that trials increase your prayer life. Nothing like going through something and you come to God because you are so desperate. You know, when you're broken, when you have nothing else to lean on, when the carpet has been pulled out from underneath your feet, it seems that those times we are reminded just how desperate we are for God and for His grace. So trials have a... um, a number of things that it's trying to accomplish. God is building in us something that we just currently don't have. So we're more like him. So James is talking about trials. He's talking about why we get them. What's the purpose of them? Now James is going to keep, well, he keeps on talking here, and he's going to tell us we need to prepare to fight. Which sometimes when we think of Christianity, what do you mean prepare to fight? Aren't we supposed to turn our cheek? Let someone else hit us? Honestly, just, just completely honest, how many people here have been in a, a real fist fight? Ooh, a lot. Young and old. Men and women. When you get ready for a fist fight, you get ready in your stance. You don't go, try to hit me, right? No, you get in a stance, you get your fist up, you're preparing. You know, a battle is coming, a fight is going to come, and you are going to be ready. Well, that's what James tells us. James is going to tell us we need to prepare to fight. Let's just continue reading. Pick it up in verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and stable in all that he does. You ever find yourself in a trial and you start doubting God's love for you? Like you're in the midst of something, you're like, feel like God has forgotten me. Like, you know that verse that says God will never leave you or forsake you, but you are starting to wonder because of all that is happening. 
It's, it's like you feel like as though he has, he has forgotten you. It feels like your prayers are not going beyond the ceiling. And you just begin to doubt. You feel like you have been left to fight the battle on your own. And that's when we begin sometimes to question him. God, if you really love me, why would you be allowing me to go through this? If you really care for me, why are you allowing this experience in my life? If you really love me. God, if you knew me better, you would know that I can't do this. And there's this fight that goes on inside of us where we, where we doubt who God is and what he says. And I think we need to be prepared for that. Because when trials come, oftentimes so does doubt. And we need to be prepared. The fact is, some of you right now are in the trial of your life. You are. Some are actually fighting for your life right now. Because some of you are in the middle of cancer treatments. You're fighting. And how easy it is to say, but God, why me? Why me? Like, I, I love you, God. My neighbor... He's so anti-God. Look at him. He's so healthy. Why? Why? We just begin to ask questions and doubt. As some of you are just barely hanging on to your marriage. You're going, God, I love you. I want you to be the center, and I have a spouse that has no desire for that. I'm trying to be faithful and loyal to you, God. Why? And then we start asking, I thought, God, you really loved me. I thought you wanted the best for me. You know, some of you have been left devastated because of the choices your children, adult children, have made. And you're like, God, listen, I, I, I brought them to church. We, we, we had family devotions. We, it was all centered around you. And, and, and now look how they're living. Like, God, why? I've dedicated my life to raising my children and the things of the Lord and I don't understand why some of these choices they're making. I mean, you really, really want to believe that God loves you. But you're starting to wonder. You're starting to wonder, does he really? I'm just going to quickly, you don't need to turn there, but there's a great story found in the Gospels, and it's, it's actually Mark chapter 9. It's about a man who just doubted. He struggled. He struggled with doubt. So let me just read it for you. In Mark chapter 9, let's pick it up in verse 19. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do, listen, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Here's a man who wants to believe, 
but he's being very honest with Jesus. I want to believe you can do this, so would you help me in my unbelief? Because part of me doesn't believe you could do this. Can anyone relate to that man? Can any one of us relate to a man like that? I believe, God, that you could do it, but I don't know if you will do it. That you love me that much. I believe that you love me, but I'm doubting that you have a good plan for my life. I want to believe that you're looking out for me, so would you help me in my unbelief, because part of me doesn't. That's the that's what this man asked Jesus for. He doubted. Part of me believes you, Jesus, but part of me doesn't believe you. Well, I hope this gives you some hope because look here in verse 25. When Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit, you deaf and mute spirit. He said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit streaked, convulsed him violently, and he came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. I hope that encourages you. Here's a man who doubted. Ask God. And God went ahead and healed his son. I hope that's an encouragement to all of us. Because sometimes we think we have to have the perfect faith for, anything, for God to do anything. But not according to the story. I believe, Lord, but I am struggling. Life has a way of pounding on you to, to the point where you just begin to wonder, is it true what I believe? Like, is it true what I have built my whole life on? But Jesus doesn't rebuke the man, does he? for struggling with doubt. He goes ahead and heals his son. But we do struggle, don't we? And so James says, don't be a double-minded man. And so when I was reading that, I'm thinking, well, isn't that double-minded when you, you know, like, I believe, but I don't believe? Isn't that being double-minded? I, I think the double-minded is when you get to the point where there's actually no belief left. You say, well, God just won't do that anymore. for me. God just... Pfft given up on me now there's, there's no like i want to believe you do, but i'm struggling here no it's like i think it's like i think you've forgotten me doubting you know there's been times in my own life that i've doubted god's calling on my life there were times when i, I thought god i think maybe you just finished with me struggling with doubt Trials are a pathway to maturity. Do we not grow by falling and failing and stumbling? We don't go through life floating around oblivious to all that's happening around us. No, we learn when we scrape our knees. That's when we learn. So why would we think that growing spiritually would be anything different? As one pastor said, he says, sometimes Christians think that God should just sprinkle some pixie dust on us and make us all mature believers. But that's not how it works, is it? That's not how we become mature. It doesn't work that way. I don't think we'd ever see the miracle of growth in our life if it wasn't 
for those trials. Because we begin to see how trials can shape us, how, we, how it causes us to interact with our friends, it causes us to act differently when we walk with our wives, uh, how we deal with our children. Have you ever had a trial in your life that has helped you see really what is important in life and what isn't? Sometimes we have a hard time distinguishing between the two. And then a trial comes along and we go, oh, this is what's important in life. Trials constantly, constantly help me be aware of my need of God. See, when everything is going well, when uh, we, we say, I am nailing it, I am hitting it out of the park, but when things go bad, we're quick to say, God, I can't believe you're doing this to me. So quick, from one side to the other. And so James is saying, hey, you need some help with that? Go and ask God for some wisdom. What is amazing is when it says, come and ask for wisdom, God never, ever, not once has ever said, you're back again. Didn't I give you some of that yesterday? Weren't you just here at noontime? What are you doing back here so soon? No, he gives it liberally, the Bible says. So when you're struggling, you just need some wisdom. He says he'll give it to you when you ask. God, grant me wisdom. Increase my faith. I believe actually wisdom leads you to faith, which will lead you to trust in God. We all have choices to make. That is the fact. We all have choices to make when we face trials. Will I grow from it? Or will I allow it to destroy me? Some of you, as I said right now, in the trial of your life, some of you this week may get a phone call that all of a sudden everything is turned upside down for you. Maybe this week. So how are you going to deal with it? How are we going to deal with it? See, some of us may allow it to destroy our faith. But others, you're going to allow it to grow your faith. Listen, we all have, we all have choices. I say, let's let the culture see what really is inside of us. People wonder, wonder how in the world do you handle those things that are thrown to you at this time? So will the trial break you or make you? When you choose to let the trial mature you, one thing you know for sure is your faith is at work. God never intended to make our life this little cozy, comfortable life for us. No. He's not satisfied with that for us because he wants to develop us. He wants to shape us. He wants to mold us to be more like Jesus every day. Imagine a world, just for a moment, imagine a world where every day authentic Christians, genuine followers of, of Jesus, were becoming more like Jesus every day. Imagine a world like that. What would that look like? For the world to be able to taste and see that the Lord is good. I think God's called us to do it. Let's do it this week.
Let's pray.